0: So if you were a homeowner prior to COVID-19 and prior to the CARES Act being passed, once the CARES Act was passed, you might have logged onto your bank or your lender's portal to make your online payment. And before, you might have had a button that said make payment, and now you had two buttons. One says make payment, and one says, you know, let's talk about forbearance. I'm having trouble. I'm struggling, something like that. And if you click that button and click through the screens and very quickly without you having to provide any documentation of financial hardship, you could have placed yourself on forbearance. And what that means is that you don't have to make your monthly payment. Instead, they multiply the interest rate by the loan balance, divide by 12, and that number gets tacked onto your loan balance, so you still owe the money, but you don't have to pay it right away. This is the Everything
1: Real Estate Investing Show with Sean Pan, where we interview local real estate investors and professionals to go over tips, tricks, and investing strategies. To help you learn about the business, and to enable you to achieve your financial goals. And now, welcome to the show. Hey everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Everything Real Estate Investing Show with Sean Pan. Today, we have Chris Mason back on the show. Chris is a mortgage broker based in the East Bay, and on today's episode, Chris will tell us about the changes in the mortgage industry and his predictions on the real estate market's health throughout 2021 and 2022. So be sure to stay tuned for the whole episode. And if you've enjoyed this podcast, be sure to share it with a friend and leave a five-star rating. It'll really help us a lot. If you're looking for a hard money loan for your fix and flip projects, or are looking for a 30-year fixed loan to scale your rental portfolio, you can contact me at sean at everythingrei.com. That's S-E-A-N at everythingrei.com. And now, on to the show. All right, Chris, thank you so much for being on the show again. For those of our listeners who haven't heard you before, can you go ahead and briefly introduce yourself and tell us who you are and tell us what you do?
0: Uh, sure. My name is Chris Mason. I'm an independent mortgage broker here in California. Um, I serve the Bay Area in Northern California. Southern California makes no difference. Um, all California, we do um, the generic <coughs> Fannie Mae, Freddie Mac, 30-year fixed stuff that a lot of people do. Pride myself in trying to find a way to get people that that might think they can't go the Fannie Mae route. Okay, how can we find a way to get them in that Fannie Mae bucket with good, good interest rates, low fees, all that kind of stuff. We work with 38 different lenders. So yeah, that's, that's kind of who I am.
1: Yeah, also super prolific on BiggerPockets, big help to everyone and very active on the forums. And, you know, as like a little resident expert in the Oakland space and I guess in the Bay Area in general, what are you seeing that is coming up pretty soon in our real estate market?
0: Yeah, I mean, so since COVID hit, I mean, at this point, this is old news, but everyone thought it was going to be 2008 2.0. They thought that values were going to go down and all that. But, you know, it does turn out that Congress, for better or for worse, they were thinking of that too. And they've been thinking of that since 2008. So the CARES Act was very rapidly passed as soon as the pandemic hit with very little debate. In the CARES Act, it included the whole forbearance thing, which gave people basically a free pass on paying their mortgage for up to a year. They also have pumped trillions of dollars into mortgage-backed securities to make rates lower than they've ever been in the history of the United States of America. That's caused a lot of refinance activity. It's also caused a lot of home buying activity. People are excited about the low rates and, and all that kind of stuff. And because of forbearance combined with those low, low rates, home buyers have been coming out in droves. And in terms of supply, what's the big rush to sell my house? Even if I lost my job, even if I lost my job, I took unemployment and I don't have a huge amount of income coming in. The fact that I don't have a mortgage payment because of forbearance, that's meant there's no big rush to, for me to sell my house, which traditionally, you know, when there is a recession or an economic change, it causes people to move around a lot, including that is people whose income has been affected. Well, now they got to sell their house because they can't afford the mortgage payment. But you know, they canceled your mortgage payment for a year. So that's something that's restricted supply combined with the increase in demand with the lower interest rates and everything else. And in general, the move to want to get out of my confined apartment building, because if I am in an apartment building, you cannot socially distance in that little four foot hallway. And some of your fellow tenants in the apartment building are not going to be wearing masks. So that has caused people in general to be suddenly the single family house is a lot more appealing than it ever was in the past. The, the single family homeownership thing. Does that make sense?
1: Absolutely. And yeah, interest rates are super low supply is super low, buyer demand is really high. So prices in the Bay Area have just been going up and up and up and up. Yep. Yeah. And you were mentioning forbearance. For those of our listeners who don't know what that is, do you want to briefly explain what forbearance is? Sure. So if you
0: were a homeowner prior to COVID-19 and prior to the CARES Act being passed, once the CARES Act was passed, you might have logged on to your bank or your lender's portal to make your online payment. And before, you might have a button that said make payment, and now you had two buttons. One says make payment, and one says, you know, let's talk about forbearance. I'm having trouble. I'm struggling. Something like that. And if you click that button and click through the screens, mm-hmm. very quickly, without you having to provide any documentation of financial hardship, you could have placed yourself on forbearance. And what that means is that you don't have to make your monthly payment. Instead, they multiply the interest rate by the loan balance, divide by 12, and that number gets tacked onto your loan balance. You, so you still owe the money, but you don't have to pay it right away.
1: Mm-hmm. And does that affect you in any way, like credit-wise
0: or anything like that? There were some very early misconceptions that it would not impact your credit at all. A more precise statement would be that it will not impact your FICO score, but it certainly does appear as a remark on your credit report. So, I mean, you know, when I run someone's credit and they've been in forbearance, it's very clear it says forbearance, it says those words. Um, so a lot of those people had entered forbearance that maybe didn't need it. They were just trying to take advantage of the system. Those people ended up getting spanked because it does appear in your credit and because while you are in forbearance, you cannot refinance and take advantage of the low, low interest rates. Mm -hmm. So in the short term, if you didn't need forbearance, it looked like a great thing. But in the medium term, it's like, well, now, you know, it's great that I don't have to make a payment, but that's going to change someday. And I'll be back at my, you know, I'll be stuck at my 4.5% interest rate or whatever the case may be.
1: And when they're done with forbearance, do they have to pay back all the missing payments that they missed?
0: There was a lot of confusion early on right now from speaking to people that have entered and exited forbearance. So far, all of them have been, in my experience, been given the option to tack those missed payments onto the end of their term. So your 30-year fixed rate mortgage just became a 30.5-year fixed rate mortgage or a 31-year fixed rate mortgage. So that seems to be what most people are having made available to them.
1: That's pretty nice. So is there any like extra interest payments for missing those like, six months to a year? Based
0: on client feedback so far, no. You could exit forbearance whenever you wanted to, and then you just resume normal payments. And if it was four payments that you missed, then they would just tack those four payments onto the end of your 30-year term.
1: Okay, very cool. And then I guess after they're done with forbearance, it's no longer on their credit report. So it was as if it never happened,
0: right? It seems to be the case that most of the time I'm still seeing that remark appear on the credit report. So it does not vanish entirely. I see. Got it. And worth noting, I have not seen this yet, but in theory, entered forbearance is not a protected class. A protected class is something like gender, race, familial status, stuff like that. Entered forbearance is not a protected class. So I haven't seen a lot of it yet, but in theory, there's nothing illegal about a creditor incorporating whether or not you took forbearance into a future credit decision. Does that make sense? Mm.
1: So if they saw that you took forbearance in you know, 2020, they'd be like, we might not give you this loan in the future.
0: They're good. On the mortgage side, I have not seen a whole lot of that. I have seen people, I have seen lenders say, hey, we're going to make them wait three months or six months or 12 months. I haven't seen anyone say outright, no, if you took forbearance, we will never give you mortgage. I have not seen that. But in theory, there's nothing preventing that as that one year forbearance thing ends, they're going to, you know, creditors are going to survey the landscape, compile data and find out, you know, is this correlated with future problems making payments? You know, did people who took forbearance have a higher probability of missing car payments? That might be something very relevant to someone who's thinking of getting a car loan. Right. Yeah, makes sense.
1: So forbearance was started, you know, mid-March, early April. And I guess the whole point of it was that it was supposed to be a one year time lapse yep. to give you some breathing room while the whole COVID situation kind of shook out and got resolved. But here we are in you know early 2021 and we still are still seeing all time highs in cases um, where vaccine is slowly getting rolled out. Yep. But that one year market is coming to an end. So I guess what is your foresight into that coming to an end?
0: I mean, I can't predict the future. One thing I will note is I do not think we're going to see a foreclosure crisis. A lot of people have been occasionally hearing commentary or seeing people talk about a foreclosure crisis. People still stuck on the idea that we're in 2008 version 2.0. I don't think that's the case. And the reason I don't think that that's the case is because of those trillions of dollars they, they pumped into mortgage-backed securities. When the interest rate goes down, that means you can afford more house holding constant the payment. So as a result, we've seen real estate values get bid up and real estate values have been, I mean, real estate is booming right now because of that printed money. I think supply and demand has a little bit to do with it. Actually, I think supply and demand has a lot to do with it, but a lot of it is also the fact that real estate values have been getting bid up because interest rates are so low. So you can afford another $75,000 in a house, but your payment stays the same. And people don't make a monthly interest rate payment. They make a monthly payment in dollar amounts. So if the dollar amount stays the same. You can afford more house. And you know, keep in mind, people that have equity, they don't generally get foreclosed on, assuming they're reasonably intelligent generally they don't get foreclosed on because why would you trash your credit and walk away with nothing at foreclosure when you could sell your house that's appreciated 15% in the last year and walk away with a hefty amount of profit? Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. So that's why I don't think we're going to see a foreclosure crisis. We might see supply pick up a little bit as these, let's take John who lost his job back in March. He took forbearance. He's been getting by on odd jobs, maybe doing some side hustle stuff and You know, it it works because he doesn't have a mortgage payment, but what happens when forbearance ends and he does, he's going to face a choice of, do I go to foreclosure? Do I start missing mortgage payments or do I maybe list my house for sale really quick, like in a hurry and walk away with a hefty amount of profit? So that maybe, I mean, Congress set it up so that unlike 2008, most American homeowners are going to be able to soft land into the transition of, I can't make my payments. What do I do? Well, now, because you have equity, you can just sell your house and walk away a winner at the end of the day.
1: If you think everyone's going to sell, well, quote unquote, everyone's going to sell their house around the same time, doesn't that cause something like 2008 where everyone's selling their house and you know you have like five homes on the same street trying to be sold?
0: I don't think it's going to be like that. First of all, everyone has the equity. So even if there is a lot of people selling at the same time, it's not going to be like it's a fire. It's not going to be like a fire sale. No one's going to be underwater. It's not going to be a foreclosure thing. It's not going to be a short sale thing. Um, I also think that a lot of different people's circumstances are different. In 2008, I think a lot of people instantly saw the value of their house tank 40%, like in a month, mu- not 40%, but they saw their values tank in a very short period of time. I don't think anyone's going to see that this time. So there's going to be people that, that do sell right away and other people that can muddle by for a few months. Other people that are going to bury their head in their sand and have six late payments in a row and then finally say, OK, fine, I'll sell my house. So I think it's going to be spread out. I don't think it's going to be all at once. Congress is often criticized. I'm skeptical that they did the best job possible this time, but I think they made decisions with 2008 very clearly in mind. Does that make sense?
1: Mm-hmm. What do you think is like the big difference between what happened in 2008 versus what's happening now?
0: I mean, I think the big difference is the CARES Act and forbearance, and the announcement by the Treasury Department back in March of 2020 that they were going to buy unlimited numbers of mortgage-backed securities. I mean, it's still the case today that if I broker a mortgage to a bank at 2 point whatever percent today, they're going to bundle it into a mortgage-backed security and ultimately sell that mortgage for a higher price than what they could have sold a mortgage at 4 percent for back in February of 2020. So it's not like these low interest rates are the generosity of banks and lenders. No, they're doing fine. They're doing doing Okay.
1: OK, so I guess the main issue or I guess the main reason why 2008 crashed so hard was because the government wasn't prepared for a situation like that. Whereas now we know we're looking at it we're like we do not want this to happen again. Yeah. So they're implementing all these different things to make it a soft landing. for people.
0: It's a little bit of a conspiracy theory, but I don't think it's crazy to suggest that the mortgage and real estate components of the response to the pandemic were drafted prior to 2020. They didn't know what the emergency was going to be. They didn't know what it was going to look like, but they knew it might threaten house values and mortgages. And they were ready with response beforehand because the magnitude and scope of the policy decisions were pretty far reaching. And they, with very little debate, they passed the CARES Act and the Fed very quickly announced they were buying those unlimited mortgage-backed securities. And that all happened very fast, almost like if it was a pre-planned response to a TBD, to be determined, economic emergency.
1: Okay. Yeah. Well, it's good to think that, right, that our government is- preparing something for us sure for things like this okay awesome now this first forward like the bay area right like what do you think about for other parts of the country that may not be as you know financially strong
0: i think there are going to be parts of the country that are not going to be as resilient in particular think of oil country places where they've been you know before the pandemic they were getting by on all their oil but now people are commuting less to work whether they're working from home or whether they just don't have a job either way you know demand for oil and refined gas has gone down so i'm I'm not thinking like the Bakken oil field, for example, in the Dakotas. I, I wouldn't be surprised if that place got hit a little bit harder. And I don't actually check that market; it's not my backyard. But I wouldn't be surprised if it's already been impacted, and it's not going to change. And that, I mean, that's the risk of a you know mono economy boomtown is that if that one economy thing goes away, then it's like, well, you know, that was that. Mm-hmm.
1: Do you have any comments about you know eviction moratoriums and how that may have impacted some people? I do the mortgages.
0: I'm not personally a landlord by choice, so I'm not the nitty gritty of that. I have seen many cases where for multifamily, one to four unit, small multifamily, two to four unit properties in general, it seems like you know it's one of those things where to you pick your poison you might get a great deal on that triplex but that's because you're buying someone else's problem two of the three tenants haven't paid rent since march of 2020 you can't evict them do you really want to buy that problem well if you're willing to you might get a really good price on that triplex it might take you a year or two to stabilize that property so if you can weather that then maybe it'll make sense on the other extreme it's like okay i've got four white collar tenants in my fourplex all four have paid rent at the same time the property is well maintained in great condition that property all of a sudden is a hot commodity. And it might be selling for more than it otherwise would have, if not for how rare of a confluence of all tenants, white collar, paying on time, no problems, great mean. You know, if not for how rare that confluence of um, things has become.
1: Mm-hmm. As a mortgage broker, or I guess a lender, are you guys uh, worried at all when doing loans for multifamily properties nowadays?
0: Not especially. The people that are out there looking for multifamily properties right now, a multifamily rental property standard thirty-year fixed mortgage requires twenty-five percent down. The people comfortable plunking down 25% right now are generally people whose job has not been negatively impacted by the recession. Maybe they work for Facebook, Google, one of the tech companies or something else. But generally speaking, those people don't seem to be coming from necessarily hugely at-risk professions. So because they personally seem to be a very resilient class, even if some of those tenants aren't making payments, I think the people buying those properties are, are in a position to weather that and make up that shortfall themselves. They're not, they're not actually relying on that tenant's $2,000 rent check to make their personal mortgage payment on their primary residence and that fourplex. Does that make sense?
1: Yeah. So I guess the clients you're lending to, I guess on the residential side, it really is based on that solo person and they're putting down 25%. They have good credit scores. So even if their tenants may not do so well, then it's okay.
0: For what it's worth, my median client FICO score has gone up about 30 points since the pandemic started from about 750 to 780. I don't know what that means or if that means anything to you, but I thought that was really interesting to watch out. Client FICO scores have gone up, not down, as some might have expected.
1: Do you have any idea or reason, thoughts why that that is?
0: I don't know. At first, when I I first noticed this phenomenon, I said, oh, it's because forbearance doesn't impact FICO scores, except I'm not really doing mortgages for people that are on forbearance anyway, so it can't be that. Um, I do just think it is that like every other major economic thing we've had in the last 20 years or so, the rich get richer, the poor get poorer. We've heard that that's a recurring theme, and it seems to be happening this pandemic as well.
1: I mean, the stock market is going really well. So if anyone was invested in the stock market, now they have more money for down payments and you want to diversify a little bit. Yeah. And
0: I'm not going to talk about the um, GameStop thing just because that's so recent and it's going to be a monthly broadcast. So I'm not going to talk about that at all. But one thing I will note is that, so think about this, real estate's gone up, stock market's gone up, gold has gone up, Bitcoin has gone up, the price of groceries has gone up. What's the word for when everything goes up in value relative to the dollar? What's the word for that? It's inflation. It's inflation. But the official inflation index has it at like 2 point whatever percent. And if you just Google search Fed M2 stock, St. Louis Fed M2 stock, you will see that the money supply, the amount of dollars in circulation since March of 2020 has increased from about $14 trillion to $19 trillion. So even though the official inflation index says we, we're in a period of low inflation, I'm somewhat skeptical just because in our everyday lives, not even just in our everyday lives, but like if everything goes up in value, that's not... Real estate didn't actually appreciate It's just inflation. That's all it is. Same with the stocks. I mean, those stocks didn't go in value. Just dollars are cheaper and more readily available. Therefore it looks like it's, everything is going up. Even though. we're Do you have any thoughts about like
1: what happens when all that stuff kind of comes into reality?
0: I can't answer that without giving a little bit of a pitch. Can I, can I give a little bit of a pitch? Not, not immediately. Okay. Yeah, go ahead. So let's think about inflation. Uh, X years pass, maybe X is one year, maybe it's five, maybe it's two. I don't know, but X years pass and we have 20% inflation. Let's suppose that happens. Um. So that means that everything, not just things on Wall Street and real estate, but everything goes up in price, nominally by 20% gallon milk goes up, price of a car, which right now they're really cheap, but the price of a car at some point should be expected to go up, rank goes up 20%, everything goes up 20%. And in theory, you're supposed to get a 20% pay raise to make up for it, so it's a wash, right? I don't know that we're going to see any 20% pay raises across the board, but let's set that part aside for now. So if everything goes up 20%, but your 30-year fixed rate mortgage stays the same, that means in relative terms, your payment and the expense of that mortgage actually goes down over time so one hedge against inflation that's why they say real estate's a hedge against inflation more specifically the mortgage on that real estate is a hedge against inflation so you know if i'm sitting there with two hundred thousand dollars in a checking account or something like that then that should be pretty horrifying because if there is that inflation you just have the money sitting in the checking account like that money is going to be devalued and real estate isn't necessarily the only place you could park that money but it is advantaged in that you can leverage it and put 20 percent down and buy a seven hundred thousand dollar asset and you get to you know you benefit from the full upswing of that appreciation because if there is that inflation that means we would expect again to also see the real estate value go up, but the mortgage balance stays the same. So that is a unique thing about...
1: Yeah. And that's why it's better not to pay off your 30-year mortgage unless you really have to, right? You can just ride it out as long as you can.
0: That is an argument often made. And the mathematical argument is if your interest rate is 2.625 or 2.75% and you could keep that money borrowed and then invest it in Wall Street and are 9%, then the spread there is your profit. One caveat I will add to that is that you have to actually do that investment thing. If you don't do that and you just have the money sitting in your checking account, if that's the this or that, then the, the solution is to pay off that mortgage because you're you know, you're know paying 2 point whatever percent for that mortgage, but you're only getting 0.25% from your savings account. If that's the either or, take that money from your savings and pay off your mortgage. But if the either or is take that money and invest it versus pay off the mortgage, then it could make sense to invest if you are willing, of course, to take the risk and all that kind of stuff that's my answer to that is if you're actually going to invest yes maybe
1: makes sense now you see the interest rates every single day what are your thoughts on the trends for this interest rates like are they going to stay low or should people just buy something now because it might go up uh in the near future
0: so it depends. I and mean, if you're trying to day trade the week on week, the month on month, it's a coin toss. It's a waste of time. Don't just, you know, rates are so much lower than they were even two or three years ago that it's not worth worrying about whether it's this week or that week or this month or next month. You know, it's a COVID interest rate. It starts with the two. Call it a win, Right. There are some people that are saying rates might dip into the low threes at some point in 2021. Most people do expect it to be here for this foreseeable future. The call to action I would have, or I would suggest isn't, oh my God, rates are going to go up tomorrow. So hurry up and buy a house today. Because first of all, I don't want anyone to feel rushed into buying real estate before they're ready, whether it's a primary residence or a rental or whatever. But the longer rates do stay low, we can probably expect to keep seeing real estate values get bid up higher and higher for the foreseeable future.
1: Um, so I guess, so I just think, I know people are worried that interest rates could go up You know, like they they even talk about the federal interest rate, right? Even though they're not 100% correlated. Then there's some talks about the federal interest rate being kept low for the rest of 2021. Have you heard anything about that? Yeah, I mean, that's the Fed has said
0: we're going to keep rates low for the foreseeable future. I mean, it's still not a one to one correlation between that and mortgage interest rates. And also note that the Treasury's buying the very specific mechanism keeping rates low isn't the federal funds rate. It's the Treasury Department's buying of unlimited numbers of mortgage-backed securities. That is not something done through Congress. That is something done on the whim of a small, unelected you know, committee of decision-makers. So I, I can't guarantee you that because I don't know what they're going to decide. But all indications do seem to be they're going to keep that program alive and artificially suppress interest rates for the foreseeable future.
1: Okay. So as long as you plan on buying something within the next maybe one or one and a half years, then you should theoretically still be able to get a really good deal on your mortgage. And uh, would you, so I guess um, since you think that right now the mortgage rates are, uh, you know, all time lows, should people be getting these like 5-1 adjustable rate mortgages or should they try to go for the 30 year fixed?
0: Yes, they should not be getting, there's no reason to get an adjustable rate mortgage right now. The interest rate savings might not even be there. It might be a higher interest rate or it might be the same, but either way, no one thinks that rates are, I don't think anyone thinks rates are going to stay in the twos, for two or three or four years. I don't think anyone thinks that. And it's hard to imagine in the year 2026 Mm -hmm. that you're still gonna be able to get an interest rate that starts with a two. So we already know which way it's going to adjust. If you can get a 30 year fixed in the twos, take it and don't complain. There's nothing to complain about there.
1: Right. I guess the only reason you would get like a 5-1 arm or maybe a 10-1 arm is if you plan on moving out within that timeframe, right?
0: The interest rate difference is gonna be so negligible right now that I would just take the security of a 30 year fixed. Even if you think you're gonna move out in five years, by having that 30-year fixed, you would have maybe an attractive option to consider keeping that property as a rental. I mean, if you do, even if you think you're going to sell that property in less time than the fixed fixed rate portion of that adjustable rate mortgage, even if you think that the interest rate difference is going to be so negligible, just get the 30-year fixed so you have a good hedge in case you maybe want to convert it to a rental. Maybe you're in California, maybe you have Prop 13, so there's a, you know some really good reasons to think about long-term real estate ownership. So that's my take on that. I haven't done adjustable rate mortgage in over a year. Um, appraisals. It takes five years, four or five years to train a new appraiser. So one thing we have been seeing is an increase in appraisal turn times. So I just had one come back with a lender I don't often use, but their appraisal management company said it was going to take two and a half months to get an appraisal report back and they wanted to charge $900 for that appraisal, which uh, I see your eyes getting big because you probably paid for an appraisal too. You know, that's a crazy price and a crazy turn time. Um, One super cool thing that one of of the big wholesale lenders has done, it's United Wholesale Mortgage, they're one of the biggest lenders in the country. They forced their appraisal management companies to... Agree to a ten uh, business day turn time on their appraisal reports, or the consumer gets back half the appraisal fee. Um, the important thing there isn't the three hundred dollars because that's nothing on a you know three quarter dollar transaction. The important thing is that appraisal management companies don't run on fifty percent profit margins. So if they do have to give those refunds, then. They, you know they're going to find a way to get the appraisal report turned in because that's the only way they make any profit on that order that is through united wholesale mortgage which you have to work through any independent almost any independent mortgage broker in the country works with them but if you have been if you're a realtor and you've been seeing your clients have problems with appraisal turn times that would be a good thing to do is find a local independent mortgage broker and just call them and say hey you know i've been sending my loans to ab you know to joe schmo at abc home loans and they've been having a real hard time getting appraisals back I heard that one of the big wholesale lenders that brokers work with has this 10 business day turn time guarantee thing. Can you tell me about that? That would not be a crazy phone call to make if you are a realtor and your clients are having problems with the appraisal turn times on that front.
1: On average, what are you seeing for your closing times?
0: I have been mostly using United Wholesale Mortgage for my purchase clients because that's the only way you can close consistently in three weeks or less. And that that does make a huge difference for buyers right now especially if we do start to see people come out of forbearance like we talked about a lot of those people that are coming out of forbearance haven't had a job in a year But they haven't had a mortgage payment so it's okay and it might be the case that when they come out of forbearance in may so that's their one-year mark they come out of forbearance in may they list their house for sale and they have enough money to make their june mortgage payment but if it rolls to july they can't make that payment and their credit's going to get dinged and then when they do sell that house and they go to try to rent some more the landlord's going to run their credit and see that the mortgage late and they're gonna have a hard time renting right so by using a lender that can close in less than a month you're able to say hey that other offer might be for ten thousand dollars more, but my offer is gonna close fast enough that your credit's gonna be protected. So when you go to rent somewhere, you'll be able to rent a decent apartment that you want to rent. So then all of a sudden it doesn't become a question of who's got the highest price, who's willing to offer the most for the house. You can compete on a different a different metric for that, which I think most home buyers would appreciate. You know, what if you can compete to buy that house without having to just be the highest offer and bend over, right?
1: Absolutely. And I'm gonna tell you a quick story. In September of this year, I had one of my flip projects go live and it took a long time to get a good offer. And then finally we got an offer. They put a 45 day escrow period. And I was like, what the, like, what the hell is this? And then she was like, yeah.
0: When was this? This
1: was October. October 2020. Of this year. And then they're saying, yeah, you know, appraisals take a long time. They already have a huge pipeline with their company as well. You know, I'm not going to name the bank that it was, but we were like, okay, well, let's write 45 for now. And then let's try to push it to 30. (laughs) My mistake, right? If you write 45, they're going to take 45, right? The appraisal actually didn't take that long. The appraisal took maybe like one or two weeks to get done and scheduled. But then it just sat on the loan officer's desk for another like month. And every week I would ping them say, hey, how's the loan going? How's everything going? And they're like, yeah, it's on file. Yeah, it's on our desk. Yeah, we're looking at it. And then on like the very last day before it was to close, that's when loan docs finally got approved and sent out. So, you know, if you have your loan docs ready the day before you're supposed to close you're obviously not going to close that day or the next day so we end up you know delaying another three days so it ended up being like a 48 day escrow period that's crazy it's actually faster than
0: average the average has gone in, in 2019 i believe the average for a purchase transaction was about 35 days and in 2020 we saw it go up to i think 55 days so that that 48 day closing was actually considered faster than average Jeez. but i mean i think the power of speed and being able to close fast in 2021 which is both the lender and underwriting turn times and the appraisal turn times, that is going to be something that is very valuable to home buyers into 2021. As demand continues to surge because rates are so low and all that, and as these financially distressed people start to list their houses for sale, those people that, you know, they can make one mortgage payment, but they, they, get, they don't have two more mortgage payments. They've been living paycheck to paycheck on their side hustle jobs and on the unemployment or other social welfare programs we have. Those people in particular, I think, are going to find your offer to close faster um, appealing. I think anything less than a month is going to be the same bucket. It doesn't really matter whether it's 25 days, 21, 18, just anything in there that's less than a month. That way, when you do go under contract on, let's say, February 27th, you will close before March 27th, which means that person will not have to make their April 1st mortgage payment. Like that that one payment is going to be critical, I think, in terms of the big scheme of things. I mean, and it seems like it's a small thing because whatever, my mortgage payment is $2,500, who cares? But like, if it's your credit that's at, at risk, I think you will find that the twenty five hundred dollars, not having to make that payment is very important. And if that means you sell your house for fifteen thousand dollars less, that's okay. So okay, so you made a hundred thousand dollars instead of one hundred and fifteen. You still you still did fine, right? Considering that you lost your job early in the pandemic and you've been unemployed and you've been having a hard time, six figures ain't nothing to laugh at.
1: Right. I guess. Long story short, the best thing you can do is make sure you have the right mortgage officer who can make sure your file goes through quickly and smoothly. To make both sides happy. Yep. Yeah, that's awesome. All right, Chris, is there anything else that you want to uh, discuss?
0: One thing that has been challenging for a lot of self-employed people is the, actually, have you had clients call you because they couldn't get a regular mortgage and they're self-employed?
1: We can't do loans for owner-occupied properties.
0: We have seen it get a little bit harder for um, people that are self-employed. Plan for the time being, this, these guidelines could change. But right now, Fannie and Freddie, they're both going to require, uh, before COVID, if you were self-employed, they would ask you for your most recent two years of tax returns and a profit and loss statement, and they would just take you at your word that the profit and loss statement knows accurate. Now what they're doing is the, is asking for that and your most recent couple months of business bank statements. So they're gonna look at your look for deposits on your bank statements and validate that it matches the PL. I mean it's not a bad thing because people whose self-employed business has gone under, they really shouldn't be getting mortgages because that's dangerous for everyone. But just do be ready for your for the time being for your most recent couple months of business bank statements to be scrutinized to make sure that you are showing revenue going there that more or less matches up to what you put on your profit and loss statement. In theory, you can also get an audited profit and loss statement done, but that doesn't happen on purchase transaction timelines. So we'll just ignore that for now.
1: Right. Yeah. So I guess it is harder for people who are self-employed or maybe even like in sales roles. Yeah. Awesome. Cool. So is there anything that you're seeing about like what buyers are trying to purchase nowadays? Like, have you seen any new trends in like locations or property types over the past year?
0: Location, definitely. All of a sudden the detached single family house, or at the very least, a multifamily house with your own entrance, all of a sudden that's become very appealing. It's anyone's guess if germ phobia is a temporary COVID thing or if it's gonna be here to stay. And I will tell you how you could make a bet on that guess if you think that germ phobia is temporary. And if you think that in twenty twenty two we're all gonna forget about COVID nineteen and we're not gonna worry about the germs and we're not gonna worry about social we're not if you think we're not gonna worry about any of that. If you're right, that does mean the most undervalued asset class in the real estate world right now is the condo of skyrise condominium development, right? If you think that and you're willing to make that bet and you think you're right, that's how you would make that bet.
1: You know, I did a market research analysis for a YouTube video a couple of weeks ago and I saw that condos in the peninsula and in SF are like super depressed, maybe like 30% down from their peaks Yep. and with like 60 days on market averages. You know, whereas your single family home in the South Bay is like, Nineteen days, fourteen days on average. So,
0: yeah, if you think germophobia is temporary, go ahead and place that bet. I mean, if you're right, you're gonna you're gonna do pretty well, you know. But if you're you're wrong, then which most people seem to think you're wrong, um, then you will lose. That's something you can look at.
1: So condos have always been like the replacement to like a single family home, right? Like ideally, everyone wants their own plot of land, they want their own space, but they buy condos because it's like what they can get in that area.
0: Oftentimes, not always, but often.
1: Oftentimes, right, and. You know, in uh, places like San Francisco, condos are just as expensive as, you know, a nice single family home in the East Bay or in the South Bay. So why spend $1.3 million for a condo when I can have a nice house elsewhere? And the reason why they were doing that is because commute times were so terrible. Like if you lived in the South Bay and you tried to drive up to San Francisco every single day to go to work, you know, it it would be miserable, miserable. So I guess maybe the real question is, do you think work for people be required to go back to work in San Francisco once COVID lifts? Because if that's the case, then yeah, I think people would move
0: back. Yeah, I think there's definitely something for that. I think one thing worth considering is even if your employer does say you can work from home forever, even if your employer does say that, I think most career-minded folks are going to find that it still behooves them to be in the office, doing the office politics thing and talking to people at least once or twice a month. So if that is the case, that means you probably shouldn't move to Colorado or Nebraska because you need to be... You know, I can handle a two-hour drive if it's only twice a month each way, right? So something like that. And and that's probably why Sacramento, to me, there's no, I I don't know if they've crunched the numbers yet, but I think when they do crunch the numbers for 2020, which might happen in between now and when this episode is broadcast, I think when they do crunch those numbers, they are going to find that Sacramento is the hottest market in 2020 in the country. I think that's what they're going to find is that in 2020, that was the hottest market in the country. I wouldn't be surprised. And it's because of that two-hour drive. It's, It's an hour and a half, two hours from Sacramento to the job center. I mean, we've seen that before where the commutability to the job center dictates appreciation, dictates value. I think it was 2016 when Vallejo, California, you know, was the hottest market of the year in the country. And it's because they did a couple of years earlier, open that ferry connection. So all of a sudden you can take a ferry to San Francisco Pier 1 in 45 minutes instead of sitting in traffic, and all of a sudden makes Valle look a lot more appealing. And if that is the case, I mean, that would be consistent with why those areas about an hour and a half, two hours away from the job center have all of a sudden become hot. You also get your nice, detached, single-family house. You don't feel that price pressure anymore. The decision you posited earlier was $1.3 million for a small condo in San Francisco or a big house or decent-sized house in the East Bay. That's a mansion. You could go an hour and a half away from San Francisco Bay Area. That's a mansion. That's too much house. Your problem is it's too much house. And you need to buy less house. And all of a sudden you're like, okay, six, five, six, seven, four hundred thousand $400,000 gives me more than I want. I wonder, I don't know this, but I wonder if we're going to see a big, great permanent shift to those more remote locations as people become more accustomed to working remotely most of the time. And, and we've seen that shift before. What happened in like the 1920s, the city center was hot, the speakeasies, the roaring twenties, you know, so everyone moved into the inner cities and in the urban areas and gentrified the people that were previously there out and they went to the suburbs um, and then fast forward, 1950s, 1960s, car culture. Car, so everyone had the white picket fence and their you know, big oversized car in their driveway. So all of a sudden the suburbs were hot. So we saw a reversal where people that could afford to do so moved to the suburbs, gentrified those people right back into the city center. And there were all sorts of injustices pertaining to like investment and disinvestment and stuff like that. But I wonder if we're about to see a similar pattern where for the last 20 years, the urban center has once again been hot. But is that still the case? Are we going to see a permanent shift to the outer areas being what's hot again? And are we going to see that same sort of pattern of disinvestment and gentrification and all that. So I I don't know how it's all going to pan out, but that is a question I have.
1: It's so funny because three years ago in like 2017, I always thought we would have this exact problem, but because of self-driving cars and not so much because of a pandemic. You know, with a self-driving car, yeah, if your commute is two hours long, but you're in the car sleeping or watching Netflix, eh, like it's not that bad.
0: Well, I don't think your prediction is actually that far off because what a self-driving car does is let you connect without having to do a whole lot of work what are we doing right now? We're video conferencing. We're connecting without having to do a lot of work, even though we're pretty far away. So in that, what your prediction revolved around was that connection without work. I think your prediction was more or less true. The exact mechanism of that is a little bit off because no one saw the COVID-19 pandemic happening, but I think your prediction is more true than not.
1: Yeah. And why do you think Sacramento, instead of something a little closer to the Bay Area, like, like you said, Vallejo or like Tracy or somewhere else in Contra Costa County?
0: I mean, we, we still are seeing those those places pick up. I think it's just that Sacramento, the combination of price point, nightlife, millennial preferences and stuff like that just happens to make Sacramento a nice nice area. I got it. So it's kind of like a nice
1: bougie area, but a uh, much more affordable price point versus Sec- uh, San Francisco.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think that's an accurate statement. Yeah, I just, it just, I remember Facebook day. Fa- Facebook day is what I call it. It's when Facebook told all their employees that work from home was gonna be permanent. For like the next three days, back-to-back phone calls all very similar hey chris my name is sally or joe i work for facebook i rent a crappy little apartment in san francisco for four thousand dollars well you know i've been thinking about other places and sacramento's caught my attention why would i rent in san francisco when i can own in sacramento for over a thousand bucks less a month i mean it was just sacramento sacramento Sacramento. i, I think there was some pent-up demand some pent-up like i think there's already something in the area about sac i don't know what but I think there was something that predates COVID-19 that had Sacramento poised to be this amazing place for people living live in the Bay to go. We've all figured enough to Wine country and everything in between.
1: That's really good insight. I mean, no one else would know this except for someone like yourself who is dealing with you know, clients who are trying to find more properties and getting loans for homes in Sacramento. Yep. It's good to know. So I guess there are a lot of people here who listen to the show who actually are based in Sacramento. And I think they're going to be very happy because they're flipping homes in Sacramento or they're owning rental properties. And they're like, good, got a good investment.
0: Yeah, I and mean, and you can you can say it was a good investment. I would say it was dumb luck. I mean, you didn't see the pandemic. I didn't. No one, no one saw the pandemic coming. Although you, with your prediction of self-driving cars, I think that that prediction was more right than wrong, which is an interesting.
1: Well, the thing is, I wouldn't have predicted Sacramento because with self-driving cars, you still have to commute every day into the office, and I don't know if you can really stomach two and a half hours every day. Maybe like
0: one or one and a half. But we'll see. Let's go through that exercise. Let's say you were doing that. What you would quickly realize is like. During that two and a half hour commute into work, where this is science fiction alternative history world, but it's kind of fun tree to bark up. What you probably find is that you're getting work done during that two and a half hours in your hypothetical science fiction self-driving car, right? Mm-hmm. And eventually you realize, okay, I got two and a half hours of work done. And then I sat in the office for three hours and then I got back, back in my car and went the other direction for two and a half hours. Why don't I just like stop an hour short of my work and build an extra two hours in the day each day, each way. And then eventually you decide, okay, what if I just don't leave my house? So I think you would have arrived at the same spot. Mm-hmm. I think that's what would happen. You you would have arrived at the same spot of working from home just by a more circuitous route. And in the process, hopefully you didn't waste too much money on a self-driving car.
1: You know, one of my friends actually did something very similar to this. He's based in Los Angeles and he had to work into Santa Monica, but he was based in Downey. So that's like maybe 45 minutes away by car. Of course, with traffic, that's like an hour and a half. So his commute was ridiculous. And after the first month of being a really good worker, you know, showing up early, leaving late, he was like, hey guys, can I like take a day off, that day one day became two days, that two days became three days. Eventually, he only came to the office one time a week, just to show face, right? Build the team bonding and whatnot. Um, But he still got all his work done. And yeah, I mean, that is the future, I think, of work.
0: And I actually saw something very similar. My processor kind of did a ninja trick on me. He used to be in person. You'll notice he's not here in my office now. Way before COVID, he'd like planted the seed where he said, hey, would it be okay with you guys if I work from home for one day a week? And I said, sure, why not? You know, and so he planted the seed then. And then by the time COVID hit, he'd already been remote for over a year. As a matter of fact, he doesn't even live in the Bay Area. He lives in Seattle. So he nice. did that same sort of thing. And that, that was pre-COVID, but clearly these seeds were there. And, all COVID, and COVID was just the thing that made it possibly permanent. But I think it's, it's clear from both what you said, what I said, and your hypothesis of the self-driving car that the work-from-home seed was planted prior to COVID-19 is, I think, the conclusion that I'm coming to from this conversation.
1: Yeah. I mean, I work you know full-time with Commitus as well as sales officer. Uh, My job is just to communicate with people through email, through our chat, and then call clients on the phone. So there's really no reason to actually go in the office.
0: I mean, I have not met a client person in over a year. I mean, I I actually did not plan for this meeting. or I would have dressed up a little bit, but you'll notice I'm just wearing a a random sweatshirt and a T-shirt and and jeans. I mean, if I don't have fun meeting people in person, what's the point? Uh, Granted, I should have thought of that and dressed up a little bit for this, but hey, it's it's all good.
1: No, it's all good. All right. Well, Chris, this has been an amazing conversation. And thank you again so much for coming back on the show. Are there any last minute tips that you'd like to give to our listeners before we finish up today?
0: Nothing comes to mind right now. Go get vaccinated, stay safe, socially distance. There you go. How's that? okay oh, good. And Chris, where can people find you? Sure. My website is uh, www.eastbaysmortgagebroker.com. That's East Bay's with an S on the end, Mortgage broker with an R at the end, .com. Uh, my phone number is 415-846-9211. My name is Chris Mason. My mortgage license number is one two two zero one eight eight. My real estate license number is 02080854. I have to mimic typing it in and then I can do it. I don't actually memorize. I just know what buttons I push. And yeah, there you go. So that's that's me. Um, I blend all over. We do mortgages all over California. We are not licensed anywhere outside of California though. And then what kind of mortgages do you do? Full document, 30-year fix, Fannie Mae, Freddie Mac, FHA, VA. The stand, the kind of the standard, the standard stuff.
1: Gotcha. So if you guys are looking to purchase your first home or... Uh, another home or refinance, definitely give Chris a call.
0: Yeah, our focus right now, and this could change, the market changes, our focus right now is, is closing them quick because that is what the market demands. I mean, two things right now. The rate's got to start with a two to make the consumer happy and it's got to close fast to make the realtors and the seller happy. And I think that's going to be more true when forbearance ends.
1: Mm-hmm. Awesome. All right, Chris. Thank you guys so much for coming back on the show. Really appreciate it. Yeah, bye. I hope you enjoyed this episode. You can find the show notes and other episodes on our site, com slash podcast. If you live in the Bay Area, Join our meetup group, where we meet up twice a month in San Jose at meetup.com slash everythingrei. And if you thought this was a great episode, let me know what your key takeaway was and share it with a friend who's interested in real estate investing. Thanks and have a great day. This was another episode of the Everything Real Estate Investing Show with Sean Pan. If you enjoyed the show, leave us a five-star rating. It will only take a second and it'll help a lot. You can contact me at Sean at everythingrei.com. That's S-E-A-N at
0: everythingrei.com. Thanks and have a great day.